Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we are continuing our slate of guest speakers with Ryan Burkett, oldest son of Pastor Roy Burkett. Ryan just finished his first year at Liberty University, where he is studying for the ministry. Today, Ryan will look at our Father in Heaven and what that relationship entails. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along. When they asked me to preach this week, um, I began to think of topics, and uh, and that's one struggle pastors have, um, I've learned, is uh, coming up with a topic. So I asked God, what do you want me to speak on? And uh, I let it go at that. And uh, I believe he wants me to preach on our Father in Heaven. Now, it's interesting because when we think of this, the first thing that comes to some of our minds is the Lord's Prayer, which when his disciples asked him in the book of Luke, Lord, teach us to pray, he says Lord's Prayer, and it is said again in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord's Prayer goes like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now it's interesting that he starts out the verse, Our Father in heaven. When we talk to God, the first thing, Our Father. So that got me thinking. It's, that's interesting. The very first thing is Our Father. So... I decided to preach on this. Now, when it comes to God as our Father, it is a two-way relationship. Now I don't know if this thing is working either. Aha. There we go. All right. Well, there's the relationship between us and the Father. It's a two-way relationship. There is who he is to us, And there is who we are to the Father. First, we'll talk about who God is to us as the Father. Well, first one, he is omniscient or all-knowing. And so verses that go with that are right there. Romans 11, 33-34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who can become his counselor? No one can teach God anything. He has all the knowledge of the universe right there. He knows absolutely everything. And another verse that came to mind, which when Jesus was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, comes from Matthew 6, 8. He's talking about prayer. And when he's teaching them how to pray, he starts off by how not to pray, which is basically not heaping up empty phrases as the Gentiles and hypocrites do, but make your prayers meaningful to God. And he says this when he's referring to the hypocrites, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. See, some people get caught up when they pray, and there are many words and phrases and saying all these things to God, making prayers just sound awesome. And I know I've, I'm guilty of this myself. But it says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, I remember there's sometimes when I'm at home, 
and I'll be doing something, and I will need something. And uh, I'll say, hey, Mom, and right as I say her name, she'll come through, and what I need, she has it. And I can remember other times where I've needed something, but I forgot to ask for it, or I forgot I needed it, if that makes sense. And she would come in with it anyway, before I could even think to ask it. It was right there. My mom knows how to take care of me, just as God our Father knows how to take care of us. Before we even know what to ask for, he knows what we need. He is all-knowing. He knows every single thought we have, every word before it is on our tongue. He is all-knowing. All right? And the next thing, he is our provider. Matthew 6, 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He knows every single thing, and yet he provides for us. Even the birds of the air, he feeds them, and he feeds us as well. He knows what we need, and because he knows what we need, he provides for us, because he is the Father that does that. And another verse that came to mind when looking at this was Matthew 10, 26 through 33. But I will focus on verses 29 through 30 here. And that says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, if God will pay attention to the birds of the air, and even how many hairs are on our head, how much more will he pay attention to the needs we have in our life when we have hurts and pain, when we have a physical need or something else? God knows exactly what we need, and he is willing to give it to us as our Father in heaven. And finally, the last verse that came to mind was Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, for his sons, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You know, I think every one of us in here can agree on the statement that not every single dad is perfect. There's not one single dad on the planet. That's a fact of life. But if those fathers who are, you know, even bad fathers, or how we would look at a father and say, he's not such a good dad, even bad fathers know how to provide for their kids to some extent. And even if they can provide for their kids to some extent, how much more will our Heavenly Father who gives good things to us? Because he is the perfect father. And another characteristic of who God is to us as our Father is He is never changing. You know, fathers can change their minds, but God is never changing. I looked in Scripture to find a verse about how God is never changing, and I was blown away by how many there are. Old Testament and New Testament, all over, talks about how God is never changing. God cannot lie. It is not in His character to change or to lie. Because God is never changing, unchanging. What he was in the beginning, he is now, and he forever will be in the future. He never changes. 
He's always been there, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And another characteristic of who God is to us is he is the one who disciplines us. Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Now, we will mess up, okay? That, that's obvious. I, I mess up, you mess up. Every single person here has messed up. And you know what? Sometimes discipline is necessary. God will sometimes need to discipline us. But he does this because he loves us. You know, I remember when I was a kid, whenever I would get punished for something I did wrong, you know, I'd bend over and, you know, to get my spankings, and either mom or dad would say, this, hurts, this will hurt you more than it hurts me. And honestly, this is my thought in my mind. Yeah, right. I'd like to bend you over, and then I'll whack you, and then we'll see. I don't think it will hurt you more than it will hurt me. That was really a thought going through my head. But as I got older, I began to realize that you know, it really does hurt to hurt someone you love. And uh, I'm pretty sure when God disciplines us, it pains him that we hurt him and that he has to discipline us. But you know what? In the end, it is for the better because he loves us and he knows it will make us better followers of him. All right. And, of course, to wrap all this up into one word, God is the perfect father. I said earlier there are no perfect fathers. There is one, God the Father. Where our fathers have failed, God has not failed. You know what? Some of you may be out here today, and you may not have grown up with a father. Or if you did have a father, maybe he wasn't a very good one at all. God is the perfect father. You know, where maybe our fathers were absent, God was there. Where our fathers have hurt us, our God Father gives us healing. He is perfect in every single way. He doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make junk either. He loves every single one of us. How deep the Father's love for us. He is absolutely perfect. He will never fail in giving love to you or me. And he gives it freely. We don't have to do anything to earn this love. And sometimes I buy into this lie myself. I think that if I do enough things, God will love me more. If I do this or that, God will love me more. And it's not about that. God gives it freely. It's not about doing things to earn this love. It is a mere fact of accepting this love. All you have to do is accept it. When you can come to the point and finally say that it's nothing I can do, God gives it freely, and I accept that love, and you just say, God loves me. And you just let that sink in. God loves me. The creator of the universe, the perfect father, the one who really shouldn't want to have to do anything with us, but he does. He loves us. He's absolutely perfect. All we have to do is accept that. God loves me. When we come to the point where we can say that, it changes everything about how we live, about how we think, about how we speak. It should change everything. And then there's a second part of the relationship. We've just covered who God is to us. Now we'll cover who we are to God. First thing, we are sons. Matthew 5, 9, I'm sure you're familiar with it. This is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called sons of God. And then there's another one, John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But you know what? We don't just become children of God. It says, Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. I have a piece of news for you. We're all sons of God. You know what? There are no daughters of God. And I will explain this here. We're all sons of God because typically <clears throat> the son is the one that inherits what the father has as we are inheritors of eternal life from God the father. Now because we're all sons, it's not an issue of gender at all. No, it's an issue of identity, that we are all sons of God. Every single person in this room is a son of God. And by the way, ladies, if you have a problem with being called a son of God, well, us men have to deal with being called the bride of Christ. So, <laughs> all right. And you know what? Because we are sons of God, that makes us family members. One big, giant family. Hebrews 2.11 it says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, God the Father. And that is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. So by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are all sons of God. And also Matthew 12:50, which says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was talking to his disciples here. He said, Hey, Jesus, your mom needs you over there. He's like, well, Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? And then he looked at his disciples. These are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. He was basically saying that whoever does the will of my Father, he's not ashamed to call them his brother or sister. We are family members under one God, the Father. And who else are we? Oh, I also wanted to cover this. Um, there is a hierarchy in the Trinity. Of course, there is the God the Father, and Jesus Christ is subordinate to God the Father. They are all equal in power. It's one God, three persons. The best way to explain it is God is one in nature with the persona of three persons. Anyway, there's God who is the Father. Jesus Christ is subordinate to God the Father, and the Holy Spirit is subordinate to both God and Jesus Christ, the Son. Like I said, they're equal in power, but there's a hierarchy. The only difference is not in power or authority, but in, well, I can't really think of the word, um, status maybe. They're subordinate to each other. Uh, maybe you can figure that out. But when I looked at this, I noticed something. Um, there is that pattern. We see it today in human society with the family. We have the father, the mother, and the children who are subordinate like that. So God gives us a pattern for family in the Trinity, which I thought was really, really neat. So we are family. And also the last thing we are is reflections. We are reflections of our Heavenly Father. And you know what? If you think about it, 
we are even reflections of our parents here on earth. Like for example, if I were to go out there and uh, do something really bad, I don't know, fill in the blank, and they were to find out my dad is a pastor, some people may say, well, I don't want to go to that church. Or another example is sometimes me and my friends, we'll get together and then we'll see some kid acting up somewhere out in public. And then we'll look and then we'll kind of joke and say, <laughs> some people's kids, right? Well, it's interesting how when we see that, we usually blame the behavior on the parents, which all the time, granted, is not true. But generally speaking, usually it is. You know? How kids behave usually reflects badly on the parents. And that is the same with us, with God as a Heavenly Father. How we behave reflects the Father. It says in both the Old and New Testament, Leviticus 20, 26, and 1 Peter 1, 16, that we are to be holy because God, our Father, is holy. Be holy as I am holy. That phrase is used in both passages of Scripture. All right, but you know what? We don't always reflect the Father as we should. And people have noticed this. When we say the name Jesus or say that we are Christians, boom, people are watching us. And usually they'll wait to mess us up. And sometimes they'll even try to mess us up. Yes, that is true. I've experienced this, and I'm sure some of you have as well. But people notice us. They are watching us. Let's look at some quotes here that I found. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. If Christ were here today, there is one thing he would not be, a Christian. Mark Twain. So, when people like this see how Christians behave, this isn't how we ought to behave. Now, granted, there are some people who claim the name Christian, but aren't really a Christ follower. I prefer the name Christ follower to Christian, by the way, because Christian can be such a loose term these days. But what exactly is a Christ follower? A Christ follower is someone who has given their life to Christ. I'm going to give you the gospel right now. Jesus came to earth. He died and he rose again. That's the gospel right there, folks. I mean, he is God. Jesus is God. Absolutely perfect. He came to earth. He became one of us. I mean, folks, Jesus went through puberty. That did not have to be fun. It ain't fun, all right? But he did it for us. He loved us that much to become one of his creation. He became human, but he was still God. That's why he did not sin at all. Jesus never messed up. He was absolutely perfect in every way. But he was human. He was one of us. And he died on the cross. He willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for you and me. And I think a father up there in heaven who loves us so much, we are nothing. And yet he sent Jesus, his one and only son, also perfect, also God, here to earth for us, for me? Now tell me, where does that make sense? That someone so perfect would care so much about someone so little as you and me, he would sacrifice his own one and only son? Honestly, to me, that doesn't make sense. But you know what? 
sometimes God's love, it just doesn't make sense. Even though we do the things we do, think the things we think, say the things we say, God still loves us. How deep the Father's love for us, our Father in heaven, just blows my mind. But you know what? Not everyone accepts the gospel. Not everyone accepts Jesus. Sometimes it's not the message they have a problem with. It's the people they have a problem with. But you know what? Some people do have a hard time accepting the message as well. Because I was thinking about this last night. I thought, what makes people hostile towards the gospel? And then this thought came to my mind. I believe this had to be the Holy Spirit. It is easy to accept what is comfortable. So some people are uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus was a man. So stay away from that. Some people are uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. That defies science. That someone were to raise from the dead, I'm uncomfortable with that. Or maybe they don't have a problem with that, but they may have a problem with something else. Maybe accepting Christ means giving up something else. It may mean giving up a habit. It may mean giving up something else. It may mean giving up your time, your effort. And that makes people uncomfortable. They want to have to give up that stuff. And honestly, sometimes I don't feel like giving up either. But you know what? We can't always live by feelings. My dad tells me this quite a bit. We cannot live by feelings. Christianity is a matter of feeling. It's a matter of faith. And sometimes this is where we can get mixed up. It's not feeling, it's faith. So whenever we feel uncomfortable, we're going to forget that. We have faith in a Father in heaven. And finally, I want to share this last quote with you. We as Christians claim to have the truth right here in the Bible. Mahatma Gandhi said this as well. You Christians looked after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it's nothing more than a piece of literature. How often have we treated God's word as if it's nothing more than a piece of literature? I'm guilty of this. Nothing more than a piece of literature. Folks, this book contains the words of life. Turn the world upside down. Even Gandhi realized this. But sometimes we fail to realize this. I fail to realize this. Our Father in heaven loves us so much, he gave us this love letter. And it should be the book we live by. Now, I'm not perfect. None of us here are. But we can encourage each other as sons of God, as family. God is our Father. So, to close today, I would just encourage you, as we look at how God is our Father and how he's perfect, how he loves us, our attitude should reflect the same with others around us. As we looked earlier, it should reflect with children, with spouses, our friends, with everyone we come in contact with, co-workers. <clears throat> and I want to give some of you a challenge out there today. Some of you have kids that are far off. 
Maybe some of you have kids sitting a few pews away from you right now. I would encourage you, call up your kids right now, your sons, or not right now, but your sons, your daughters, and just tell them that you love them, that you're praying for them. And you know what? Could that be uncomfortable? Yes, it might be uncomfortable. But you know what? It would mean so much to them. My dad was talking with me last night. He said something I thought was very interesting. The biggest fear of parents, we were talking about how like some kids misbehave and parents don't correct them all the time. We're like, what's the main reason they don't get corrected? Well, dad said, it's the book you're reading, right? Right now? Is that where you got that? Okay, I, I think so. Right. It said acceptance. Parents want to be accepted. They want to be approved, approval. And that's a big fear for a lot of parents. And honestly, that was a little surprising to me, but it made sense. Parents want the approval of their kids. But you know what? God does not need approval from us. He is the perfect father. So call up your kids today. Tell them that you love them. You're praying for them. You know what? They may approve. They may not. They may accept it. They may not. But you know, we are commanded to love others. And as God loves us, we should love others as well. I'm really thankful that we have a Heavenly Father who would love us so much that would, He would send Jesus to die for us. I mean, I think of the mistakes I've done. It's just amazing to me. Now, you may not realize it now, but you know what? One day, I really hope you do. And if you have any questions about this, please, you can talk to me, talk to Pastor Roy or any of the deacons or elders. They would love to talk to you about this, about how you can make God your heavenly Father. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. God bless. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.